Hey, Changemakers, welcome back to the Engage for Good podcast. I'm your host, Allie Murphy. All businesses start as an idea, a concept, but only a select few evolve into full-fledged corporations, and even fewer have employees who've been there since day one. Meet Isima Gibbs, JetBlue's Vice President of Corporate Social Responsibility and Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. She joined the aviation company before they had a single plane. Now, more than two decades later, she's still with JetBlue, having witnessed significant transformations in her time there. In today's episode, she and I are going to take you on a journey through JetBlue for Good and the JetBlue Foundation, which recently celebrated its 10th anniversary. Along the way, we're going to explore JetBlue's signature Fly Like a Girl initiative, the company's 13th annual golf classic, and much more. JetBlue for Good serves as the company's platform for corporate social impact. It zeroes in on the areas that matter most to the airline's customers and crew members, youth and education, the environment, and the community. The JetBlue Foundation is the aviation industry's first airline foundation dedicated to supporting aviation-related education and STEM initiatives. In today's episode, we'll explore JetBlue's journey from community affairs to cause marketing to CSR, how they augment small budgets with employee and consumer engagement, three things that make ICEMA an influential leader, how JetBlue's social impact work often precedes its business ventures in new geographic locations, and how the foundation reworked its grant application process after candid feedback from grantees. And with that, let's get started. This episode is brought to you by JetBlue. Hey, Isima, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. I'm excited to have you here. We are all more than what we do for work, all more than our job titles. So tell us a little bit about the personal and professional journey that led you to JetBlue. So it's an interesting story. Our former um, CEO at the time and um, COO, both were named David, David Barger and David Nealman. David Barger worked with me at Continental no longer in existence, moment of silence. Um, and so <laughs> he said, he gave me a call and said, he used to call me kid sometime. And he's like, hey, kid, like we're starting this airline. What do you think? I'm like, yeah, no, I have a job with a real airline that has <laughs> planes and a name. And so you have a concept. But I came over for an interview and the rest is history. So I've been here before we had planes. Um, it's been a wonderful, joyous ride. And um, that is my professional um, trajectory from Continental to JetBlue. Before you even had planes, I can't imagine very many people can say that. No, there aren't a lot of people left who can say that. Uh, and there aren't a lot of people who might have taken that risk, right? Mm-hmm. And so you leave a job that an airline that is fully functional um, has planes to go start an airline that had no planes. And if it didn't work, you, we had to get approved to fly. We had to mm-hmm. do pr- what, what's called proving runs. And if it didn't work, th- I was unemployed. But it was interesting. David Barger um, and I stood outside after my interview and he put his armor around my shoulder. He says, 
look around, kid. We're in Manhattan. If it doesn't work, we'll get jobs. I'm like, oh, okay. So that was kind of our, <laughs> our attitude around young and naive. But that was my, um, I was like, okay, if this doesn't work, I'll get a job. Was that what shifted it for you? Because when you first started telling the story, it was a sense of, yeah, no, I'm working somewhere that already has planes and has a name. How did that shift happen? It, it, I, the shift happened. I think that was the icing on the shift. The shift, shift okay. happened because I realized I could create something that didn't exist before. I realized mm-hmm. that this would literally be part of my legacy. I realized that there aren't a lot of people that could say they helped start an airline. So the realization of, will get jobs was kind of the icing on the cake, but I had already decided that I was going to do it because it it really is part of my legacy. I love that. Okay, so let's dive into actual JetBlue now. Yes. Let's start with an overview of JetBlue's corporate social impact work. Can you give us a quick tour of both JetBlue for Good and the JetBlue Foundation? Sure. So I think our social impact work really started taking shape and form when companies were deciding if they were going to be community relations or corporate social responsibility. There was a big shift there. Um, Some of it became uh, really popular during the the age of cause marketing. I'm doing air quotes. So (laughs) when um, you tied your name to a cause and you decided that that's how you were going to, um, you know, show your philanthropic work. So we started... We changed from community relations to corporate social responsibility and got buy-in across the company to realize that this was something important that we needed to do um, as a company. And we also started to engage our crew members. What we found was, and a lot of this goes back to um, the old Engage for Good um, before formerly known as Cause Marketing Forum. Formerly known as Cause Marketing Forum. And it had to morph, right? And so people were morphing from yep. community relations to cause marketing and from cause marketing to engage for good when you talk about social impact, because now you don't want to just talk about the fact that you're doing the work. You want to talk about the impact of the work. Um, so I think we started talking about impact and engaging our crew members really early on. And what we learned from the former social um, cause marketing forum was if you get your crew members engaged, or crew members is our word for employees. So how do you get them engaged and active and participating in the things that you want them to do? Like the things that you, the company has said is important. And what we found is if you let them, we, we celebrate our crew members and their passions where they are. So if, if the ASPCA is your thing, then we celebrate that. And because we celebrate that when we want you to do or ask you to do something that's a little bit more in line with some of the corporate vision, then you come out and do that too, because we've supported you um, in your in your philanthropic work as a um as a crew member. So and that part of the bigger entity, you know, JetBlue is doing X. So I think that's really been one of the things that's made our program so successful, our social impact work continues to grow and morph. Um, we do have signature programs and things that we like to do consistently so we could talk about measurement and impact, but we continue to, I think, push the envelope a little bit. So when we decided to do uh, change our reading program, we started working with somebody from NYU and we got real literary experts to come in and help design the program. 
Um, we knew we could execute it, but we wanted to make sure it was going to have an impact. So I think one of the things about our social impact work, it really is uh, rooted in research, whether it's something around the environment or whether it's around literacy and reading and and getting kids age-appropriate books. We really do try to ground our work in real research. The other thing, we've never had the biggest budget, so we could never write the biggest check. So we always had to make sure there were so many components to the work that we were doing. So what's the customer component? Mm -hmm. How do you talk to the customer about your work? How do you get your crew members to volunteer around the work? How do you um, really make it a um, holistic approach to doing good in a really broad way? So we've we've always wanted to make sure that our social impact work was meaningful um, and that it was um, like I said, grounded in research. And then the foundation was is the first airline foundation that is specifically um, geared towards our industry. So the foundation mm-hmm. supports initiatives that are STEM-focused and or aviation-related. So our JetBlue for Good platform or our corporate social responsibility work can be broad. We try to focus 80% of our time, talent, and treasure on community youth and education, and environmental initiatives. But the foundation is really focused on STEM and aviation initiatives. I like that distinction. And I also like the three T's of time, talent, and treasure, because I think across the board, whether you got small budgets or big budgets, and more often than not during budget cuts and layoffs, budgets are smaller. It's about how can you create a well-rounded program that's more transformational than transactional, isn't just check writing, but really involves consumers, involves employees, involves your key business pieces to create something powerful. And and we always say that we want to be part of the business solution. Like what what are what are our business um, imperatives? What are we trying to do at the moment, and how can CSR help? And I think when we started saying that. People are looking at us internally like, what does that mean? <laughs> and it means yeah. that if we're going to a new city and it's going to be a big city for us, and how do we have a footprint there from a social impact standpoint? How do we make sure our crew members are volunteering before we even have the first flight? So how do you show the community who JetBlue is immediately as you enter into a market? So the foundation just hit a huge milestone, which is, 10 years, which is really exciting. It is yep, exciting. We're, we're doing a little dance. Yes, D- we are. Listeners can't see us, but we're dancing. You've talked a little bit about the shift already from community relations to cause marketing to CSR, but are there any other things you want to highlight in that have really happened in those 10 years of things that have, have really evolved and changed? So the foundation is 10 years old. Corporate social responsibility, we've been doing that work a lot longer, Much longer. than the 10 years. But I think one of the things with the foundation that has happened is we, um, I think we're a little, we had lofty goals initially. And the foundation is funded um, from JetBlue, but also takes outside um, funding. And, and really, uh, most of the funding comes from our golf classic. So while we wanted to to help so many organizations, so many worthy organizations, we developed a process. They could apply for grants. And during one of our meetings, we had some of our grant recipients come in and speak to us. And we were so excited to talk to them and hear what, how 
you know, the money that we gave them was transformative and all of that happened, but they were really honest with us. And they were like, for the size of these grants that you're doing, this is a lot of work. We were like, oh, no, we clutched the pearls for just a minute. And Mm -hmm. then we we transformed how we started um, talking to the community and how we we approached um, nonprofits for to for, for them to fill out grant applications, and that application process um, became so much more streamlined. And it was such a blessing to have an honest um, assessment of some of that work. So that was one of the major changes we did. We really changed how we did do our granting, so it's not as complicated. So that these smaller organizations who don't have a development officer um, and two grant writers on their team, so they can um, take part in some of the um, the grant processes that we have and be successful. I think the other thing that we've done is we literally put on clinics for how to write grants. And we've done it yep. in um, Puerto Rico and we've done it here. And so it's, I think it's really important, especially when your money, is, you know, we're not talking about millions and millions of dollars, but if these are smaller grants and how do you help some of these smaller organizations be successful, not only just to get a grant from you, but for other organizations as well. OK, so I'm going to dive into one of your signature events, Fly Like a Girl, which sounds really neat. It Tell is. us about it and and how does it tie directly to JetBlue's business goals? Because as I'm prepping for the end of the year right now, one of the things on my to do list is getting ready for the Halo Awards, our annual application. And one of the things we always ask is how does this contribute to the business goals? What makes it sustainable for the business, makes sense for the business? So talk to us about that piece because not everybody likes to answer it. Well, I think Fly Like a Girl is a special program because it really introduces young women to the world of aviation. So when you think about an airline, you think about a pilot, probably the person at the ticket counter, and maybe the person that's putting your bag on the plane. Maybe those are um, the people that you think about, and the flight attendant, of course. And working in aviation is so much more. And what we found is similar to STEM um, initiatives, girls don't necessarily raise their hand for STEM, equally qualified but right. um, don't always raise their hand or don't always step forward in the in the math and science realm. So we want to show them all of the things that you can do if you work for an airline. And we do that by bringing out all of the women that work at JetBlue. So the program consists of our female pilots and our female engineers and our female mechanics and our female um, dispatchers and all of the females that do so many different jobs here, we show young ladies all of these opportunities. It is part of our, um, it's so imperative to the business because there's a pilot shortage. Everybody will tell you, right. all the airlines admit there's a pilot shortage. Well, it's not a pilot shortage because people don't know that you can be a pilot. It's a pilot shortage because people don't understand the access roads to to becoming a pilot and the way to mm-hmm. um to to learn to become a pilot or that you could become an engineer or that you could become a mechanic and especially some of our young ladies have never we did a program with uh, one of our fly like a girl initiatives and one of the parents there said she had never seen a female pilot 
and wanted to take wow. a picture. So I think if you think about your travels, how many times have you flown with a female pilot? Um, I don't know. Exactly. And typically nowadays, the door is closed, too. So, so you, you don't, don't always know. You, you don't you usually hear a voice, but you don't know who's flying the plane. That's true. Um, but it is it is one of the ways that we feel that we are exposing more people to the aviation industry and letting them know that there is a career and an opportunity for them to find a home within an airline. Okay, I feel like we could do an entire podcast on that, but I'm going to switch over to one of your other events that you've talked about already and is one of the big places that you get funding, which is golf events. So this year's Swing for Good is going to be your 13th annual golf classic, I believe. What's on the horizon? So we're excited about Swing for Good this year, um, specifically because it is the foundation's 10th anniversary. They will be the sole beneficiary of, of Swing for Good. So we're excited about all the different ways we'll get to showcase the great work that the foundation's doing. So that's one of the things that's on the horizon. Um, of course, we would not be swinging for good without um, teasing our CEO, who is um, the master <laughs> of ceremony, and, and talking about his golf skills or, or lack thereof. Um, but it really, that would be mine. <laughs> I'm not good. Mine, mine either. I just wear a cute outfit, but I don't golf. Um, but really, <laughs> it is an opportunity for our business partners to get together with our leaders and for everybody to have a really fun day. So we're excited about, you know, we've been checking the almanac and checking um, extended weather forecasts. And so we're looking forward to a, a beautiful day. We're looking forward to, we're, we're, we're sold out. We're trying to see if we can get um, additional capacity at Beth Page, but we have already sold out the red course, the green course, the blue course. And so we're starting to see how many if there's any other real estate that we can have at Beth Page, mm-hmm. but we're really excited about the fact that our business partners year after year come out and support us. But equally as important, they come out and have a good time. Having a good time is important. It too. is important. Of course it is. I want to go back to the grant piece for a little bit. You've talked about how, well, a variety of different things, but also that you've had this relationship based on trust where someone could come in and say, hey, this is a lot of work for the amount of money that we're getting Mm -hmm. from this. What are some of the initiatives that you've been able to support through the foundation's grant making? And is there anything that stood out about working with these nonprofits? So there was one organization um, that was such a small mom and pop organization, and they were Tools and Tierras. And they... The, we had little, little, little girls come in and really um, have an opportunity to see what aviation was all about. And they called Tools and Terrors because they showed women or young girls about non-traditional fields as well, plumbing and other things. And so uh, construction, things that, that they might not have ever considered. And um, I remember a, one of the young little, young, young girls at the event said to me, you know what? I know that I could be a pilot now. I said, well, that's great. She said, no, I'm serious. I can be a pilot. And she had such determination in her eyes. And I'm like, this is why you do this. This is is the change that you're looking to make. Um, And so I think one of the things that for us has been important is to follow up. So all, for the most part, you have you have to report back and send us a note and let us know or 
let us know how the, the grant's being used and how successful you were. But we assign a board member to every single um, grantee and really carve out a professional, personal, more of a personal relationship, a one-on-one relationship. And it's really allowed us to see some of the things that have gone really, really well and some of the the opportunities that some of these small um, nonprofits have had. And it's given us a chance to um, help them in ways that we hadn't thought of before. Like, do you need marketing help or do you need somebody to help with finance? And so it gives us an opportunity to open our, our company up a little bit more broad, a little broader than just the foundation. And it gives us an opportunity to really um, dive into the organization if they're willing to and help make them a stronger organization. Um, so those are just two things I can think of that have really helped us morph how we think about the work that we do. One is the the young lady saying that she could become a pilot. She is um, on her way. Um, she oh, has, gosh. She's young, but she's trying to yeah. take the classes and still interested. Um, and I think the other thing is that, you know, just it, it, it helped us realize you do need to keep in touch with these, um, these organizations. We do... Um, the Air, um, Organization of Black Aviation Professionals, OBAP, has a summer camp every year. It's an ACE camp. We've supported the ACE camps for years. And just recently, we did an ACE camp in New York. And it's a summer program. It's just a few weeks. We did an ACE camp program in New York. And one of the gentlemen that's going to be a pilot came to speak to the students, had gone to our ACE camp. And so there's no better testimony to the work that you're doing is when you know you touched somebody when they were younger and they followed in the path and pursued a career that you introduced them to so it's really rewarding um, it, it absolutely is rewarding so you've been like we said JetBlue's csr work has been around for much longer but the foundation has this 10-year anniversary and a lot of things have happened in the last 10 years how do you remain nimble so that you can morph as the landscape of CSR and ESG changes, but still stay true to your core values at the same time? Being nimble is part of being in the airline industry. So during COVID, we contacted our previous grant recipients and said, hey, I know this is a hard time. People aren't giving. And we did emergency grants. Mm-hmm. So we were in tune with what was happening, not only from a societal standpoint, but how that was having an impact on the organizations that, we, um, that we've worked with before. I think that's, you know, we stay nimble because we want to be relevant. And if you're not nimble, you don't always remain relevant because you don't change with what, in the direction, with the direction of the times. You're not really responding to the need. And so we we want to continue to and will continue to stay really hyper-focused on the aviation and STEM um, uh, track. We don't want to stray from that. But where are the intersections that we can um, look at that we might not have thought about before? Where are our opportunities to continue to be relevant with what's happening today? staying true to who we are. If you don't do a self-assessment, then you will always do what you've always done because it's work. And I think our self-assessment, our honesty about 
the work that we're trying to do and where we're trying to go, our goals. It really keeps us nimble um, and, and makes us reflective. Like we, we have to reflect on what we need to do in order to do better. We have to reflect on how we can continue to grow. We have to reflect on our board our board development and how our board members who are all doing this, you know, as a secondary job, how we can keep them engaged. And so being nimble has allowed us to exist for 10 years because if we hadn't been nimble, I think we would have at some point not been able to continue the good work that we were doing because we wouldn't have really grown much. And what are some of the things that you've learned over your tenure that would help others that maybe aren't in the airline world, but help others move their social impact work forward? So I think for our social impact work is how do you continue to measure your work, the work that you're doing? How are you ensuring that the work that you're doing has roots and branches? And and for the foundation as well, how do you have roots and branches? How do you maintain who you are at the core and have branches to spread out far and wide. Um, we work with aviation. The foundation has worked with aviation high school for years. It's it's one of the few aviation high schools in the country. It's within walking distance from our building. When you graduate from aviation high school, if you're in the um, mechanics program, you are a FAA certified mechanic. Uh, there oh, wow. are only a few places in the country where you can get that type of education um and when we were working with them initially they needed one thing technologies come about changes happened and so now they need different things and we've been able to grow and morph and change with them um over the 10 years so i think as the landscape changes if you're attuned to the people that you're serving you'll have to change as well. And if you're not attuned, then you'll do the same thing that you've always done, but you'll probably get the same thing you've always gotten. Which won't stay around for much longer. Not at all. So how are some of the ways that you actually measure this work then? If we're talking about roots and branches, what are some of the metrics or how do you look at this work in terms of measurement? So when we talk about aviation high school, how many, um, so we've given a grant for some of the work that they're doing um, at the high school. How many people are coming out and becoming mechanics? Um, and even if, if, and so some come out, become a mechanic and start working immediately. So you're 19 and 20, some go to college and then come back and work. But how, what is that trajectory? What does that look like? And who are those, those students? And, and are they coming back into the field? Are they coming back into the industry? So that's one way we measure them. How many people are we touching across the, the country to introduce them to the world of aviation? Just let them know this is an option and something for them to consider. Uh, And then how many people have gone through a program that we've sponsored, curated, or or supported that have really followed the path of aviation? So that's another way. And, And not just the path of aviation in the traditional sense, but fell in love with the industry and are working in marketing or fallen in love with mm-hmm. the industry and are doing design. There was um, a young lady I used to tease her all the time. I'm like, you have designed everything from rain boots to airplanes. Like your, your breadth <laughs> of design is so broad. 
because you worked here that you would never get that experience anywhere else. And so um, that's how we measure success specifically for the foundation is the programs that we sponsor, the initiatives that we that we support, the programs that we um, curate internally. How are they reaping? How are we reaping people that are working actually in our industry? And we'd love them to work at JetBlue, but we want them to love aviation and work wherever they like. Okay, so we're going to close with a lightning round of three questions. Number one, what are one or two key behaviors or strategies that help you excel as a leader? Servant leadership is one. The ability to seek first, to understand, then to be understood. Get crap done. (laughs) I like that one. Okay. Okay, number two, our field can be a really busy one solving really big challenges. How do you carve out time and space to protect your well-being and focus on what we'll call self-care outside of bubble baths and wine nights and that stuff, but like really take care of yourself without compromising the progress of your initiatives? Things are trendy. So you talk about being nimble and you talk about um, keeping up. So one of the things that you hear people talk about is protecting my peace protecting my Mm -hmm. peace. I've been protecting my peace for a very, very long time, long before it's fashionable. Um, And I think for me, it is finding time to really connect um, from a spiritual standpoint. And um, that that's most important. So if I just stay grounded spiritually, I feel like everything else falls into place in a good bubble bath. I do like a bubble bath too, but the, for me, it's, the stepping back from whether it's work or just the hustle and bustle that is everyday life now and the screens and the technology mm-hmm. and the this and the that and coming back to center, whether it's spiritual for some or just sitting and being and quiet I think is really yeah. powerful. And mm-hmm. wondering sometimes, why do I care what somebody else is doing in their life? Like they're showing <laughs> me, but why do I care? Like turn stuff off, whether it's, you know, yeah. being on your phone scrolling the gram just turn it off just be at peace for a minute because they really don't turn care what off you're and doing. be at peace they don't care what you're doing in your life give them a break just, everybody needs a break and I, I like it i love 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 spending time with my daughter she and i have so much fun um and so that's a really great she's at college now and so i miss her terribly but um even through our facetime calls that is another grounding. Um, it's just, it just, it gives me so much joy. How often do you get to see her in person? So she just went to school. Uh, she, she went in okay. August. Um, Congratulations, mom. Thank you. She went to school in August um, and she came home for Labor Day. So it was just a few weeks. <laughs> and then that same week, we surprised her and went out for her birthday because uh, she, turned, she turned 18. She was like, I don't want to spend my 18th birthday without you. So um, and then she'll be home for Indigenous People Day. So they have that that time off. So pretty fair, probably I'm hoping that it's, you know, once every month and a half at least. That sounds nice. And then last question for you. Where can people learn more about you, JetBlue, and the foundation? So they can learn more about JetBlue, JetBlue.com. Um, and there is a corporate social responsibility section there. They could learn more about the foundation at the JetBlueFoundation.com. They don't really need to know more about me. 
<laughs> All right. Well, I will include those links in the show notes, which you can find at engageforgood.com. Isima, thanks so much for joining me, for talking about the evolution that of the journey that JetBlue has been on and for sharing your insights with our listeners. Thank you for having me. And to the li- listeners, be nimble. Um, don't be afraid to change. And remember what your purpose is. If you don't stay too far from your purpose, you'll always be grounded. The Engage for Good podcast is produced in partnership with True Story FM, engineering by Pete Wright. Music this week is by Elon Perret and Rex Banner. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, we hope you'll consider doing just that for our show. But the best thing that you can do to support Engage for Good is simply to share the show with a friend or colleague. Thank you for listening.